0: Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point and welcome to episode 10 of To The Point Cybersecurity. This is your host Erica Pierce and I'm joined as always by Eric Trexler. Hi, Eric.
1: Hi, Erica. We're going to title this one the most complicated (laughs) episode to record.
0: Yes, a little behind the scene action that this is actually our third attempt at recording uh, this podcast. So the third time is always a charm. I think it's going to be a good one based upon just the number of of attempts.
1: (laughs) Richard, Dr. Ford, the reason we're together today is really all revolving around this concept of trust. You wrote an opinion piece back in April, in, in, excuse me, October called rethinking the concept of trust. Where, where the, uh, where did the inspiration for that come from? Why did you write it? Why is it so critical to our industry?
2: Yeah, thanks for the question, Eric. And by the way, thank you both for A, your patience and getting this recorded, (laughs) but B, for the opportunity to come and and talk to folks about what, what I'm working on, because I'm actually very excited about it. The inspiration, I have to say, came from a book I read. So one of the joys of being chief scientist is that I get to read a lot. Part of my job is to go out and read different things. And and sort of try and read outside my area a little bit. So I read a wonderful book called Who Can You Trust? by an author called uh, Rachel Botsman, I think, if I've got that right. And um, what it talked about was how trust models have changed um, as a function of time, going from intrapersonal trust, so person to person, small group trust, then to trust in brands, Um, and companies and establishments, and now to this more decentralized peer-to-peer trust. And it got me thinking a lot about the ways that we apply, or actually more correctly, fail to apply, trust in in computer security. Because trust doesn't go away, or our real-world concepts of trust shouldn't just go away because we're online, but so often they do. And so the, the inspiration was some of the outside reading I read, And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this is a missed opportunity in cybersecurity and one that I wholly intend to ensure that we embrace.
1: And trust is a concept since the beginning of society. Really, relationships have to have trust.
2: That's right. So, you know, if you think back, you know, a few hundred years, right, How did trust work? Well, we, we lived in fairly small villages. We knew maybe 30, 40 people, if that. And so you could build up these trust relations. You knew that the baker made good bread because you knew the baker, you knew that the brewer made better beer than say a different brewer because you knew them both. When we started to move to the cities during the industrial revolution, that all went out of the window. You no longer knew the brewer and you no longer knew the baker. And so what we started to see was branding. So you know, you'd know, you have a brewery that you knew made good beer, and so when you saw the sign of that brewery at a, at a publican, at a, a public house, you would say, oh, this is probably good beer. So your trust shifted from interpersonal, because it was a, from the village, to branding, because it was the city. And of course, because of some of the lumps and bumps that we've gone through societally over the last 20 years, We've seen a steady erosion in trust in the organization. Um, and so that's that's led to some very interesting companies like Uber, Airbnb, um, Alibaba. The thing that's interesting about those three companies is even though they're sort of leaders in what they do, they don't actually produce what they do. They link two stakeholders together. So if you think about Uber, Uber doesn't really have a big fleet of cars, right? Uber has... Uh, a way of connecting somebody who wants to offer a ride with somebody who wants a ride. What are they brokering, really? They're brokering trust.
0: That That's fascinating, uh, Dr. Ford. So, you know, in your article, you also talk about um, how government should be rethinking um, trust in terms of critical data protection. And I, I know we recently saw, for example, um, healthcare.gov, it, it was hacked and um, personal data was exposed that people in theory had trusted the government with. What are your thoughts there? I know you have a a particular um, sort of (laughs) uh, um, thought about how government should be approaching this that you talked about it in in the op-ed. So would you share that with our audience as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I firmly believe that applying trust to cybersecurity is, is this kind of cybersecurity superpower, right? Which is why I get excited about it, because if you look at traditional cybersecurity, it's the sort of one or zero, yes or no, permit or deny kind of world, right? So yes, you can have this file or no, you can't. And it tends to reduce the world into a sequence of events and we look at each event in isolation. Trust allows us to extend permissions or expand, extend uh, rights to somebody based on how much we trust them. So you move away from this sort of very yes or no binary world, to a much more fluid world, where we could say, "Why, yes, it's reasonable that you looked at this user's data, Richard. Yes, it's reasonable you looked at another user's data, Richard. No, it's not reasonable you looked at 500 user's data, right? So my trust can be earned and it can be destroyed. And based on the amount of trust that you have, you can either extend permissions to a user or start to revoke them. And I think that's how we work in the real world, right? You sort of get... Know someone, um, you could liken that to learning about them with a machine learning algorithm. You sort of figure them out and then you trust them contextually. So for example, um, Eric, you know me pretty well, I think. So you'd probably trust me to have your bank in a meeting, you trust me with your clients. You absolutely wouldn't reliably trust me to show up on time, for example, for a podcast recording.
1: <laughs> or my um,
2: paycheck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very contextual. So you trust me in some contexts, and you distrust me in others, and that's okay because that's how human beings deal with trust. Um,
1: cybersecurity is very black and white. It's very I trust this person or I don't, and it's implicitly in, a, in a, a holistic trust, is it not today?
2: It is today, but I think the argument that we're making is that in fact it's better to start doling out trust in sort of more granular ways. Uh, and that's how we protect ourselves in the real world. And it should be the same as how we protect ourselves in cyber. Um, you know, so understanding the behaviors of a user, seeing how they're acting, and then deciding you know, whether you want to trust them with a particular data movement or not. And I think that that's really very powerful. The government, by the way, does get this right in some, in some cases. If you think about the whole um, MLS security, the idea of clearing somebody into a particular project. What you're doing essentially is you vet them, you decide whether you can trust them or not, and you let them into that project. And by and large, those systems work extremely well.
1: Because now, hold on ca- one second. I'm not a I'm not a scientist. So MLS multi-level security.
2: Multi-level security. I'm with you. That that's right. So Head you know, Google. think about <laughs> classification levels on on data. Um, and that system really does work well. I mean, you know, we hear about maybe the failures of that system from time to time in the news, but what we don't ever see people writing about is how successful it usually is in protecting our secrets.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so as as you're doing your research and, and and the work we're doing around, could we call it context-sensitive trust?
2: Yes, absolutely. It, you, uh, context-sensitive trust.
1: How do you think of that from a... Technologically, a technological component, right? So today, we'll take something as simple as DLP. Um, how do you data loss protection? Oh, <laughs> Eric, you're the greatest. I'm so <laughs> glad you. Where would I be without you? How do you take that, and how do you, you know, that's very binary today. It's I trust this group, I trust this user account. It's it's not a granular component. So how are you extrapolating upon that? How, what are you thinking?
2: Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because even though you say you trust this user, right, in fact, what you're really saying is this user is allowed to do X or Y. You don't really think about trust much at all in a traditional DLP install, right? So often DLP is rolled out as regulatory compliance. These things shall not leave, and these things can leave. Um, even... Um, you know, even today, uh, our existing DLP product, um, in fact, the older versions of our DLP product were quite good at saying, well, yes, we trust this person to do X or Y, but they keep doing it and the volume looks suspicious. Um, that's what we used to call drip DLP. The new version of that that I'm, I'm really excited to have in the market is dynamic data protection. And what dynamic data protection does is we take... Uh, user and entity behavioral analytics, and we take the telemetry that the DLP product throws off, and we use that to build a trust score of each user. And then the policies that get applied to a user depends on the trust score that they have. So if you're a very highly trusted user, you have more freedom on the system. As your trust levels go down, the system starts to step in to stop things from happening. And that's different from traditional UEBA because what what, what I would argue is traditional EBA isn't a closed loop system. That is, it tells you something bad's happening, but it doesn't do anything about it. And it's so important to close the loop on the system so that it, it becomes this closed loop system because attacks unfold often at the speed of a computer, not at the speed of a human being. And so when you have attacks that can change that quickly, it's important that you have computers responding to them. The nice thing about this is that it's the glass is, is half full sort of scenario. It's not, when I talk to customers about this, I don't talk about how it provides better efficacy when it start more stuff, which is what customers usually want to hear. That's important, we do it. But what's really important is that it gives those users that are trusted more freedom. If you want to know where security uh, solutions go to die, it's on that hill of security friction where you're stopping legitimate users Um, doing things,
1: impacting mission.
2: Yeah. Impacting the mission. Yeah. They just turn it off or they find some horrible workaround around, around it. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is often even worse. And I think you and I could compare our list of horrible things we've seen in the real world where people were getting around some security mechanism because it was driving too much security friction. Basically your, your average user doesn't want to do that. They don't want to go outside the lines. They want to be a good citizen. But when you make their job harder, they push back. And so the nice thing about these kind of trust-based solutions is we don't have to have this one-size-fits-all set of static rules that are set really high because they're really designed to detect, you know, the misbehaving user. You can have a much looser set of rules that tightens up as we detect signs of misbehavior. And the difference is seen not just on we're going to stop more bad stuff. What I'm really excited about actually is that we allow more good stuff
1: OK, so well, let's switch directions for a second here. Talk to me about the interplay between risk and trust in in a cyber from a cybersecurity
2: perspective. So that comes down to what's the definition of trust? What do we mean when you say you trust something? It's funny because you ask that question in a room with 10 people in it and you actually get 11 different answers. Um, what trust means to me is it's a it's a promise that's as yet unfulfilled. It's a belief that that promise will be fulfilled if you like. So in other words, there's this sort of predictive future nature to trust. So anytime you trust somebody, uh, think about think about the real world again. Anytime you trust somebody, you're taking a risk, right? You're taking the risk they're not going to do what they said they were going to do, that their promise that they may remains so unfulfilled, and there's usually some damage associated with that. So in cyber, it's exactly the same thing. So as you extend trust to a user, yeah, you're accepting you're, you're extending it, though, by thinking about how much risk is this to me. What's the risk of this going wrong? And as you get more and more familiar with a user and their user's side behaviors, you can actually do better and better at predicting how risky this is. And so you can moderate your responses based on the risk that you perceive in the system. And that's not just about the person. It's about the context. So, you know, there's more risk when you have – Two people of equal trust when one person has something extremely valuable and one person has something that's just vaguely valuable. Which one has more rest? The person with the, the, the thing that's more valuable. And so you might want to protect that more, even though you trust these two people equally. Makes sense. It does.
0: Absolutely. It does to me. Erica? No, it does. It, it's, it's fascinating to hear, you know, sort of when you're thinking about it behind the scenes, everything that's happening when you're accessing a, a network and um, just, the you know, the ability to be able to uh, track in real time, you know, what's happening with the various users and their levels of, of trust that they're granted. So um, th- thank you. I, I, we will add the, um, your op-ed to our show notes so everyone can read it. But it, it's quite a great article in terms of rethinking the concept of trust. Yeah, I agree.
1: In fact, you had another piece I was uh, reading uh, referencing the three drivers control, consequences and trust. And I I find the way you look at the problem fascinating. Too many times, I think, as cybersecurity experts or IT experts, you know, we, we come in with the tool we have or whatever it may be, and that's how we're going to solve the problem. I like taking that step back. I like the way you think through the problem. You know, we, we've got a trust relationship type of concern here. Let's bring technology in to address that, but let's un- let's understand it first.
2: Yeah, exactly. Just because we're doing this on a computer doesn't mean it's some strange alien universe where we can throw away the knowledge that we have in the real world. There's no need for it all to work completely differently. And I have to say, um, you know, kudos to the company because they give me the freedom to sort of read outside, outside my um, sort of normal swim lane. And I think that's how you actually innovate. One of the reasons we're innovative as a, com- as a company is this sort of cross-pollination. So I think, Eric, you well know, I, I publish and write with our chief HR officer, Kristen, quite a lot. You know, it's these sort of odd, unusual, atypical collaborations that produce some of the most interesting work that we do. Chief HR, responsible for people. Responsible for people because it's all about people.
1: It really is, isn't it? I mean, we're talking technology, but the technology is there to enable personnel, people inside these businesses, these agencies, these organizations to work effectively.
2: I'm so happy to hear you say that (laughs) because part of the challenge is when you go to somewhere like RSA or Black Hat, you go to those big conferences, what do you see? You see something that I would call the cult of security, right? Almost as security for security's sake. And we often forget what our mission is. Our mission is to protect our employees, protect our data, and allow the company to do the business that it's in. No company should be an expert on cyber. They shouldn't have to be. Um, So I feel successful when we can take some of that load off our customers and allow them to focus on whatever their core business is. Because it probably isn't cybersecurity.
1: That's such a good point. Yeah, when we talk to government agencies, you'll usually hear, hear the word mission. Mm-hmm. You, there's a there's a higher need. There's a reason that they exist, and that they're asking us to work with them. It's not just for the sake of buying the latest, hottest technology out there, and it shouldn't be.
2: And it should not be correct.
0: Well, I had one final question that has nothing to do with cybersecurity. <laughs> for you, Doctor Ford, <laughs> just curious when did. When you um, started at Forcepoint, did the job description say chief scientist? It's just—it's such a great title that I was just curious if you were looking for chief scientist jobs or how does that work?
2: So it's a funny story actually. (laughs) I wasn't looking for anything. I had retired. I had been doing cybersecurity for more years than I care to count, and I'd retired into academia. And I was running a NSA DHS National Center of Academic Excellence. In cyber research and one of my former students, when we were standing up Forcepoint before Raytheon even had completed the transaction, uh, came to me and recruited me for the role of chief scientist. And the fact that they wanted to put science back into cybersecurity from ground zero was what convinced me that, you know, coming out of academia and back into the business world would be time well spent. And I'm very glad I did.
1: Wow. So it is time well spent.
0: (laughs) it was worth coming out of retirement and now look you get to record podcasts with us so we appreciate your time dr ford
2: well thank you so much it's been a pleasure
1: Richard. it's always fascinating speaking with you 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 constantly open my mind and i I think i think that's what i like best about it we're we're getting out of technology and we're really looking at relationships and people and what drives and supports the business so thank you
2: thank you
0: Well, we're going to wrap. Thank you again, Richard. And um, this is our 10th episode. So we would love to hear from our listeners. So please um, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on Spotify now and other uh, platforms and send us some comments and and let us know um, what you think of the podcast so far and any guests that you would like to have us um, uh, interview in the future. So please, please um, give us some feedback since we've now hit uh, double digits.
1: Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, both.
0: Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.